a young historian and reluctant witch accidentally finds an enchanted manuscript in an old Oxford library. Hmm, sounds like a good start for a story. Soon this young witch is swept into a world of magic and dark secrets and form an alliance with the mysterious vampire to solve the mysteries hidden in that ancient book. Hmm, vampires. Yes, this does sound like a story in my taste. Witches and vampires have, of course, been stars in popular culture for as long as anyone can remember, and we've seen many books, films and TV series featuring them, and often in stories that also involve enchanted manuscripts, dark secrets and all that jazz. But in the hands of American author Deborah Harkness, these ingredients were turned into something that felt both familiar and new, in a way. A mix of fantasy and history that clearly appealed to readers. The book A Discovery of Witches arrived in 2011 and became an instant hit. Soon it grew into a trilogy and now it has arrived to our TV screens as a drama series. Goodbye Kansas Studios delivered plenty of visual effects for the series, so today the Yellow Brick Road will lead us into this world of sorcery and shadows. Follow me there, let's discover the discovery of witches. everybody, I'm Nils Lagergren and this is Yellow Brick Road, your friendly little podcast about movies, games and visual effects. Yes, today we're going to talk about A Discovery of Witches and here to help me shed some light on the VFX work features in the series, I have compositing supervisor Jim Parsons from Goodbye Kansas Studios in London. Welcome Jim. Hi. Nice to have you here. It's nice to be here. (laughs) Since it's your first time here at Yollibrick Road, let's start with some background. How did you find your way into this lovely world of visual effects? Well, I mean, I am a child of the 70s, so of course uh, one of the big influences was Star Wars back in 1977, although I think we didn't get it till 78 in the UK. You're not the first one here to to mention that. That doesn't surprise me. No, no. But I, but although that's an influence, I would say uh, a year beforehand, I saw a film called uh, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, and mm. I think that's the one which really kickstarted my interest in visual effects. Harryhausen. Uh, by the great Ray Harryhausen, who I did meet many years later. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I just saw that and saw all these monsters brought to life and I just wanted to know how they came about and where they came from. Dynamation is a new process which utilizes new technical and scientific advances in electronics and color to open up vast new vistas in motion picture entertainment. Some of this demonstration film is being projected in color, some in black and white. But the feature picture itself is entirely in colour. That's kind of set the spark in there. Uh, not that I did anything about it for about 20 years, but, you know, it was mm. a start. It was starting there, so. Uh, eventually, I got a job as a runner, which was uh, about 20 years ago now, which was how it kind of uh, happens in those days. Get a job as a runner, do some tea, and spend your spare time, you know, trying to learn the different machines and stuff. At the time, it was Henry and Inferno, and these big machines, like, uh, they were about the size of a large refrigerator. Um, but I'd just spend every evening and every weekend learning what the, uh, how to use them, learning about compositing and just doing it that way. We didn't really have any courses when I was there, so mm. you just had to do it that way and just getting more experienced hands to teach you what they, what they could. So mm. that's how I started. 
Um, it, and it was more in commercials and pop promos to start with. Uh, so did lots of kind of Spice Girls videos and Robbie Williams wow. and some Oasis and, and stuff like that. And a band called Steps, where we had to remove one of the lead singer's uh, bags under his eyes for every video. <laughs> uh, basically, I was remove bags under the eyes guy for uh, uh, the the person who I will not name, mm. but uh, I think he parties a lot. So he always looked terrible in the videos until I worked on him and then he looked a lot better. That's something to have in your CV. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Bag you remove. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that, that's kind of where we, I started uh, on that. But uh, I worked at a really good company called Clear, which sadly doesn't exist anymore. And while I was there, we got to work on some Danny Boyle movies. Um, and that was that was the first time I worked on a proper feature film, was uh, 28 Days Later, oh. So, uh, which is great because I love horror movies. And uh, I mean, it was a great film which restarted the uh, kind of zombie boom that is still going on now, sadly. Uh, and uh, that was quite the experience. So once I took that kind of step into feature films, uh, I didn't want to go back to commercials and pop promos. Uh, and so I carried on doing that, really. So what films have we worked on? Well, I mean, there was 28 Days Later, obviously. Then Millions. I don't think I'm going to go through all of them because there's quite a lot. Your uh, favourite? My favourite? Yeah. Well, I worked on five Harry Potter movies. Um, five Harry Potter yeah, movies. Yeah, uh, and they were a lot of fun. I worked on, um, weirdly, the Oscar-winning uh, Golden Compass. It's weird because it's a, not a very good film at all. So, uh, But, you know, at least I got to work on an Oscar-nominated. And the effects are nice. A winning movie. Yes, they are very good. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that was good. Uh, probably one of my favourite films I worked on was V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. which, uh, while not a big hit, it's 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 a really good film and uh, it kind of continues to resonate to this day uh, and a lot of people still really love it and I'm really proud of the work I did on that. And also a little film called Beverly Hills Chihuahua, which some people would say is terrible, but if you watch it in the right circumstances, having drunk the right amount, mm-hmm. is actually one of the funniest films you can watch in your life. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying it's good. <laughs> But if you're drunk or you're under five, it's the best thing ever, I tell you. <laughs> uh, so I'm quite proud of that. Maybe some people aren't, but what do they know? She's not just any chihuahua, Angela. She's a bossy, arrogant, manipulative Beverly Hills chihuahua. <laughs> so what can you tell me about the TV series A Discovery of Witches? Well, it's the story, as you've uh, already eloquently put, uh, about the love between a witch and a vampire, which sounds... Not great, but actually quite a sophisticated and adult approach to these kind of creatures of the night. And gone as all the kind of like death by daylight or a stake through the heart. I mean, there's still some blood sucking and witches mm. still do some uh, flying and stuff like that, but there's no broomsticks. Did you bring your broomstick with you? No, I'm afraid I didn't. Well, then you'll have to walk. But it's uh, it's it's a good mature approach to the the subject, and is a very entertaining uh, TV show. Um, yeah. I've watched the whole thing. Not that I'm allowed to talk about half of it because spoilers. Oh. But um, I have seen it uh, from beginning to end, and it's a it's a good, compelling story. The series it has received mainly great reviews, and it looks great for sure. Very atmospheric with those Venetian and Oxford settings and everything. Uh, and The Guardian called it a mix of Harry Potter and Moors boiled together with Twilight. And someone told me that you actually wanted to be a vampire when you were a kid. So it's no wonder you like the series then. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> let me clear that up. I, I, I liked the idea of immortality and kind of like being a hit with the ladies as far as the vampire is concerned. But the actual murdering and blood sucking wasn't, I wasn't all that keen on. No. But, you know, when I was little, I thought vampires were real. And then when I found out that they weren't, I was disappointed, but also relieved. And I decided that, okay, if I couldn't be a vampire, I wanted to know about 
how to make vampires in movies and stuff like that. And again, it was that same time, kind of time that I saw um, the Ray Harryhausen movies uh, that I was also watching, like Hammer Horror movies, which mm. were shown later at night. Christopher Peter Lee Cushing. and Peter Cushing. Oh. So that all fed into my love of vampires. So, you know, sadly, I've never become a vampire. But maybe maybe one day. What was the original question? <laughs> well, I don't remember, but the answer was okay. good. Do I like the... Uh, oh, yeah, do, do I like, like the series? Yeah, uh, what, the TV show? Yeah. I, I think it's really good, actually. Um, I was, was concerned because it's like, a, you know, it is a, a romance in some respects. Not that I don't mind romance movies and TV shows, but I thought it might be a little bit skewed towards a female audience more. Mm. But I've been watching it with, um, with my wife and my dog, and, well, we all love it. Milo, the dog, doesn't. He just sleeps with it and snores. But we're really enjoying it. Um, and I enjoy it as much as, as May, my wife, does. I mean, she's read the books, so she knows all about it. It's just a very entertaining show, mostly because the story of the two uh, leads, Matthew and uh, Diana, is really compelling. And the actors, Teresa Palmer and Matthew Good are a great couple of actors. They've got great chemistry. So, you know, it drives the story forward and you want to watch it. Yeah. Just like any proper story, if you like the characters, you want to see what happens next. Yeah, true. It's produced by Bad Wolf and Sky Productions, and Goodbye Cancer has delivered 560 VFX shots. How big was the team? Uh, how long did you work on it? Well, we started uh, at the beginning of the year, and uh, we worked up, up until August on it. We had a couple of our uh, supervisors out on set for quite a bit of the time. Uh, Abby Scully and, and Jesper were out there, uh, down at the uh, mainly down at the studios uh, the bad wolf studios in wales hmm. uh which is this beautiful brand new facility absolutely huge and they built these amazing sets down there uh, i went down there a few times as well and i went to oxford on location a couple of times and uh, they also sent me out to new york state so i've never been to new york i was there for about 12 hours but I was sleeping most of it. Never got to see New York at all because I was out into New York State, which is, uh, <laughs> unlike the sophisticated world of New York City, New mm. York State is basically Trump country uh. and everybody is uh, like a hoo <laughs> But nice and very friendly and lovely, but it's a very different place. <laughs> but I was out there shooting drone footage uh, for lots of the wider shots because although they shot for the close-up stuff in Wales. Mm. Some of it was meant to be in America, and oh, Wales yeah. does not look like America. No. So I was out there shooting some drone footage, which was interesting, because you don't really know what the footage is going to look like until the drone is up in the air. No. And then the drone camera team didn't know what they were shooting because it was going to be visual effects afterwards. So it was a learning curve for all of us, <laughs> but, but, but we did some good stuff. Which... And all ended well. Yeah, it all ended well. Yeah. We had about... 12 compositors working on it in the London office, about half a dozen 3D guys, three effects people working on it. And then we had some work also from the Stockholm office and we did had some outsourcing for a few bits and bobs and they did a really good job. So it was quite a sizable team hmm. and at most points pretty much everybody in Goodbye Kansas London was working on A Discovery of Witches. So everyone, we yeah. had them all. <laughs> Hank, can you just clear the set? It's just, there's too many people around here. Let's get this worked clear out. Set. Clear the set, please. Everyone have a cup of coffee. Clear the set. 
It premiered in September 14th, and you've seen the entire series, but people out there haven't. So I guess we need to be aware of spoilers. I, I saw the first two episodes yesterday, actually. I, I really enjoyed it. In the second episode, there's a beautiful sequence where the vampire Matthew Claremont chases a stag, runs very, very, very fast. And in in another vampire franchise, the Twilight one, vampires run quite fast too. But, but in, in those films, it looks silly. It doesn't look silly in Discovery Witches. Uh, how did you approach those effects of vampire super speed? Well, yeah, I mean, the whole conceit of vampire super speed is basically ridiculous because uh, <laughs> if you've got a very fast-moving character, it can often end up looking like something out of an old Benny Hill comedy show. <laughs> exactly. Uh, which is never a good thing. And certainly the Twilight films failed on that account. I mean, old uh, vampire movies never even bothered with vampire speed the vampire would turn into a bat and mm. then he'd kind of transport around that way. You know, it's a much uh, more efficient, less kind of like obvious way of getting around by being a bat. Yeah. But uh, most of the times it looked like a rubber bat on a string, so that wasn't very good either. So as far as doing the vampire speed in A Discovery of Witches was concerned, it really was difficult to try and make it look sophisticated and not silly. Mm. Uh, a lot of it was done with doing lots of traces and blurs and stuff like that, but also have us... Matthew or whoever runs away, he leaves behind this trace. But also we kept that trace quite dark and shadowy, which gave it a kind of slightly mysterious, kind of sinister feel about it. Mm. And with the moment you start adding anything which is dark and sinister and mysterious, it stops being silly. So that kind of worked, hopefully yeah. all the time. <laughs> and the stag was CG as well. It certainly was, yeah. yes. And that was done over in Stockholm. Oh. Yeah, And a very good job they did of it too. Stag! Yeah! Yeah! There's also plenty of magical effects in the series. Can, can you give us some examples and, and tell us how you how did you go about to create them? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, one of the first big bits of magic that Diana Bishop uses, and it is in the third episode, but that's already been on television, so I'm only ruining it for okay. you, Nils. There's a magic spell called Witch Wind, which sounds weird, but uh, it's just basically a lot of wind blowing out of Diana which can make people fly about all over the place and mm. stuff like that. Again, that could come across as a bit silly. So it's trying to get that looking sophisticated helped by the fact that Teresa Palmer's performance was excellent and she looked kind of like proper tough while she was doing it. Mm. But as far as uh, the visual effects we did were concerned, we kept it quite minimalist. So if you look in the background, you can see everything distorting and very subtle bits of uh, dust flying past. And also we uh, created lots of digital pieces of paper because it's set in a library. So they're all, all the pages are flying around, but it is subtle. And that was a lot of request from the client was to keep things subtle. Mm. They didn't want to go over the top like Harry Potter. No. They wanted to give it a certain real world and a physicality to it, that if you were actually to see this, you would believe it. And again, that wraps into how adult Discovery of Witches is trying to be. It's not meant to be infantile and silly and, well, fun, uh, like uh, like Harry Potter or like mm. Twilight. It's meant to be appeal to an adult. So doing like the witch wind and doing it with subtlety and uh, and cleverness was, was really what we were aiming for. And I think we succeeded very well. If you see the final scene, it looks really good. Other effects we did, we did quite a lot of uh, glowing hands when Diana and other witches um, 
when they have lots of their effects, that makes their hands glow. But we didn't want to just have it a simple kind of your hand lights up and that's it. Mm. So we used lots of x-rays and uh, we kind of tracked them onto the hands so that as they glowed, you could see inside and it felt you like... You the skeleton. But you could see yeah. the skeleton, you could see the veins. So it was like the magic was coming from deep within her. Mm. Uh, and it looked pretty cool. So we were quite pleased with that. Is that in episode three as well? First time you see it is in episode two. So you're all right. There's a window which smashes. She makes a window smash. Oh, yeah. True, yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. So glowing hands which do it. <laughs> you out there have probably seen it already. Yeah, yeah. Get out of my head! We discussed this before in Yellow Brick Road, but it's an eternal and classic question, so I want to bring it up again. Can you really enjoy a film or a TV series if you worked on it? I mean, uh, I guess you can spot all the effect shots almost automatically. And can you see it without thinking of how it was to work with it? Depends a little bit on the project. Uh, most of the time, I'm fine with it. If the story and the characters are compelling in a film or TV program, then I can still watch it, observe the effects, but then switch off and get involved with the actual um, story itself. If it's been a particularly horrendous project, which I haven't worked on many of them, there is one I did a few years ago, and I, it was on a franchise I was very keen on, but uh, since working on it, I never watched anything about that ever again because it was such an awful thing. Mm. But that was uh, more of a political background stuff rather yeah. than the actual visual effects. Uh, um, yeah, sometimes it spoils it, but, you know, if it does, I'd still rather work on it than not work on it. So yeah. Because let's say if you were a great fan of a well-known TV series, would you ever consider avoiding to work on it because it would destroy your viewing pleasure to, to get all the spoilers when you worked on the effects? Well, I, I suppose like the prime example of that would be like Game of Thrones, mm. which I've not worked on. It's, it's a great show. There's always lots of surprises. People are dying left, right and centre. Yeah. Uh, crazy stuff happens. Don't go to a wedding. And if you're in Game of Thrones, <laughs> don't so ever go to a never wedding. go to a wedding. I can tell you that for a fact. But we've only got one series left of it to come, and and if anyone who's working on it, there's going to be a lot of spoilers for them as they as they mm. you know work away on it. But it's Game of Thrones. It's like a masterpiece. I'd love to work on it, even if it ruined it for me. You yeah. know, having yeah. my name on it would be fantastic. The word extravagant has been used. What good is the word extravagant if it can't be used to describe a royal wedding? A Discovery of Witches is just one of many books, films and TV series featuring vampires, witches and demons. Uh, do you have any other favourites in the genre? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I spot kind of vampires are concerned. It's got to be uh, Salem's Lot. It's one oh, of my favourites. Yeah, that's a classic. Uh, I mean, it was only made for TV back in 1979, uh, but they had Toby Hooper directing it, who directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist and Life Force. You know, it may have been for TV, but you had James Mason in it, you had David Soul, and it really elevated to a whole different level of what scary stuff could be. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Well, let's just say, if you were a kid and you watched it, uh, you never opened your curtains ever again because there's some scenes where these spooky little ghost vampire children start floating outside the window and they're scratching on the glass wanting their little brother to open up so they could come in and eat him. 
It's absolutely terrifying. I mean, it's really good. I need to see it. You do. Uh, <laughs> other good vampire ones. Um, well, I mean, you know, we've had a lot of vampires. I'm a little bit overloaded with vampires. Mm. I think Discovery of Witches works because they treat it, like I say, maturely. But the really good ones recently, Let the Right One In, obviously. Yeah, yeah. T- a total classic. Uh, and, it, and it, you know, it deals with the ideas of immortality in an interesting way that we haven't seen before. And then on the other end, have you seen What We Do in the Shadows? Which is... Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. That's great. Which is a great one. And it's one. turned into a TV series now. Apparently so, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's quite that's exciting. That's good news. Uh, you know, you've got basically Nosferatu, who's called Peter in this, and he lives in the basement, and he's bald, and he's got the little teeth, <laughs> and he's like... <laughs> and, yeah, you know, it's just four of them living together like four blokes, like any yeah. regular thing, except they eat people. But, mm. Yeah, that's great. That's a great one. Yeah. See that, you out there, if you haven't. Uh, Matthew Claremont in The Discovery of Witches, is, uh, he's a classic modern vampire. I mean, he's romantic, lean and suave. And uh, How did modern vampires become so sophisticated? Well, I, I think, you know, I mean, it goes back to, the you know, one of the earliest proper vampire stories, Dracula. The guy had a castle mm. uh, and it was a uh, count. So he was already, and rich, really, let's face it, if you've got a castle in your account, you're not going to yeah. be poor. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he was probably already kind of used to kind of living in, in high society circles. And um, that, that kind of carried on, to, you know, through the Bella Lugosi versions mm. and Christopher Lee was still like a debonair, suave monster. Mm. Uh, I mean, it kind of went downhill, like, you know, in the 80s, I suppose, with the Lost Boys, they were kind of more punk yeah. New, rom- yeah. new romantic and uh, near dark where they're just basically homeless people mm. um and, and then stuff like true blood where it's kind of the deep south and yeah. you know they're kind of trailer trash and things like that but more recently they have become a little bit more sophisticated so this is what you're saying is that we're actually getting back to the classic yeah originally sophisticated vampires oh definitely yeah I mean, it's like these are the rich well-to-do in yeah. society. Yeah. And it and it works perfectly for our times where the rich are getting ri- uh, richer and because the poor they are suck getting blood. Because <laughs> they're basically <laughs> sucking the blood off the poor. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I've noticed that, that the vampires in uh, Discovery Witches drinks a lot of wine. They're, they're constantly standing there with a wine glass. And I guess they do that because it makes them look more classy uh, rather than if they would like be sipping a pint of lager. But but that's a new thing, because I mean, we all remember what Bela Lugosi said in the classic Dracula uh, from 1930. I never drink. Why? When did vampires start to drink wine? I don't know. It must be very recently. I've seen lots of ones where they kind of, you know, they end up forced to kind of drink human drinks and food and stuff like that, and they end up being sick yeah. and feeling pale and then kind of half dying and needing to drink some virgin's blood in order to feel better. Uh, so it's a very new thing. But yeah. I, I tell you, it's if they've got some kind of deal with the wine industry, it's working because I watched it and I had to crack open a bottle of red. I felt the same. Yeah, while watching <laughs> it. Just, they had some big, I craved wine glasses. when I watched it. Yeah. And then red wine also looks a bit like blood. Of course. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. These days, you don't kill vampires with, with sunlight, doesn't kill them anymore. You can't kill them with sticks. Uh, and they drink wine. And they have evolved, for sure. Of, of all these vampires and all films, TVs, and books, which one is your favorite? Oh, well, I don't think I could ever pin it down to one. Uh, if you want to talk about like demons, mm. that's easy. It's a Lamberto Barber's 1985 classic. 
demons. Uh, it's 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 not good in any way, shape, or form, but it's great. And it's about a bunch of people who go to a cinema in Italy, I suspect, because it's an Italian film. Mm. And um, the film that they're watching is about a bunch of teenagers who get taken over by demons. And while the people in the cinema are watching it, mostly are teenagers, they get taken over by demons. And then everyone turns into demons, and then for no reason whatsoever, a helicopter crashes through the ceiling and chops loads of demons' heads off. And then everyone escapes. It's, it's great. It's really good. And that's weird, because 1985 must have been a, a good year for kind of really bad, good films, because mm. Toby Hooper's Life Force came out at the same time. And that's one of the best vampire movies, while also being one of the worst vampire movies. Uh, and it's about... Um, this spaceship which is found uh, next to Halley's Comet and inside it there's three naked people and they bring them back to Earth and they turn out to be vampires and they suck the life force out of everybody <laughs> while walking around naked and it's incredibly embarrassing but brilliant at the same time. She's destroyed worlds. That girl was no girl. She was totally alien to this planet and our life form and totally dangerous. So those are my favourite bad vampire and demon movies, I guess. Yeah. I need to see both of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what about witches, then? Uh, they, too, have evolved through the years. I mean, Diana Bishop in Discovery Witches is far from the classic Brothers Grimm kind of witch, the old hag with warts trying to get young, innocent girls eat poisoned apples. Mm. Come on. Come on, have a bite. How have witches evolved through the years? In the kind of cinema, I mean, in some ways, I feel it kind of reflects what kind of goes on with society, obviously, with how people think about women. Maybe not quite at the beginning where they are just these kind of warty old hags and mm. like in Wizard of Oz where she's got a broom and she's bright green and yeah. kind of cackling away and can die with a bucket of water on her head. Um Because by the kind of like the kind of fifties and sixties, uh, you know, the witch had become either kind of more of a friendly kind of thing, like in Bewitched, hmm. or had become um, like someone to be kind of sympathetic towards. Uh, if you would see the uh, Witchfinder General starring uh, Vincent Price, oh, the like, great Vincent Price, the great Vincent Price, he plays Matthew um, Hopkins, who was a real character in like, the seventeenth century in England, uh, who used to go around from village to village accusing women of being witches then do the usual if she drowns then she's not a witch and if she doesn't she is a witch and will burn her uh, approach to things but when this film was made in like 1968 you know it wasn't the witches which were the baddies by this point it was the men who mm. were uh, torturing and abusing these women because they were different or because they decided to, they wanted to speak out and you know I mean if that doesn't reflect with modern times a little bit yeah. especially what's going on in America at the moment then I don't know what is Then kind of witches went bad again for a while. We had, like, The Craft. Have you ever seen that? Mm -hmm. So kind of, if you're a goth from the 90s, then The Craft is the film to see. Um, <laughs> and um, it's about a bunch of girls who discover they've got uh, kind of witchcraft powers and they kind of get revenge on teachers and bullies and stuff like that. Mm. But then it all gets too much and then they get all dark and sinister and they also dress in black a lot and, and stuff, hence the goth love. Ah, yeah. But then I suppose we kind of come back around to the 60s approach now. We've got films like The Witch, mm. um, which doesn't judge The Witch, even though, you know, it's a little bit dodgy, uh, and another film like The Good Witch and then, of course, A Discovery of Witches, which, you know, there's a mixture, but the main heroine is a witch and she is clearly a, a force for good, not a force for evil at all. Yeah, and, and witches are, in a way, uh, they're strong women, Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, there were strong women, they were probably strong women back in the 16th, 17th century when they were being burnt at the stake or whatever, yeah. but, uh, you know, they didn't like strong women in those days. It was all about the men, so... Um, True. Thank God it's changed. <laughs> the the third species in Discovery, which is, are the demons. Oh, yeah. Since I've only seen two episodes, how are they portrayed? Well, I don't want to bring the demons down or anything like that, but, like, the vampires live for a very long time. They suck blood. You know, they've got a good taste in clothes and wine. Mm. Uh, the witches, they've got magic powers. They meet up. They have little dances, vampires probably. Demons? Never really quite sure what they do. Most of them seem to be a bit depressed and wandering around. <laughs> There's mention that they've lost their powers, but you never really find out what their powers are. I'm guessing that in the second season, if there is a second season, maybe you'll get to learn more about the demons. Mm. So far the most they got was that they... Uh... Oh, I can't... It's a spoiler that I can't say, but let's no. just say there's... So they don't do much. <laughs> They're not like the demons in the 1985 classic demons. No, exactly. No, sadly. Who grow teeth and go green and eat people and are uh, generally having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> Last but not least, do you have a dream project, a series of film or a franchise, possibly involving vampires, that you would love to work with? Well, uh, yeah, but it's an impossible dream because, uh, again, it's going back to what I said at the very beginning. Uh, it doesn't even make any sense. I'd love to work on a Ray Harryhausen movie, but not that kind Who of... Wouldn't. Yeah, but not the kind of boring, tedious, moving everything one frame at a time, stop-motion stuff. You know, I, I think if you combined that stop-motion with modern digital techniques, you could make something really beautiful. I mean, I've worked on Clash of the... Titans remake. Yeah. Uh, it was fine. I quite liked it. But, uh, you know, it was all completely digital. But actually merging, like, the two disciplines mm. uh, of, like, modern effects and what Ray Harryhausen did, where he brought such characters to life, even with just a little tiny figure, which was only one foot tall, uh, to be able to kind of combine those two, which I know we do with the, the disciplines of animation and stuff nowadays. But I don't know. There was something very charming about those old stop-motion monsters. And I, I would just love to kind of, like, work within that field, but yeah. also in my field. But And then somehow I'm sure it would come out and nobody would bother going to see it because they all want to just see big, expensive Marvel movies nowadays. But hey, a man can dream. It, 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 it's an interesting question because many of the artists I speak with in this podcast share that love for, for, for example, Ray Harris and, and the, the old ways of doing it, miniatures, uh, stop motion. But would the audience who doesn't know about visual effects, do they have the same affection for this as we have that work in the business? I'm going to say probably not. No, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if there's an age thing, uh, Could be. people over a certain age might like it, but then all the people over a certain age are the ones who don't go to the cinema anymore. So right. that's probably not going to help very much. You know, there's a lot of time in those old old movies and um i think people would see it and remember their childhood and i mm. think that in that respect i think it can be quite nice but whether you're going to get your average 16 year old to go hey you know what i'm not going to go and bother see spider-man 5 i'm going to go and see clash of the medusas or whatever instead <laughs> i don't think it's going to happen really very much but the kids that grow up now will in 20 years time want to see films that feels like the kind of vfx all digital stuff that is done now I guess. Well, yeah, I mean... And those aesthetics. Yeah, but they'll have to unplug the Matrix out of their brains and uh, go down to <laughs> try and find a cinema if there's any still open in 20 years' time and uh, and watch it that way. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, nostalgia, isn't it? We always kind of, like, think back of stuff when we were kids and still love it. Yeah, nostalgia is a, it's a powerful factor. Oh, yeah. Glad to the good old days. 
Thanks a lot for coming, Jim. I need to know more about those films. <laughs> oh, I will. I'll let's send you a, a list. Let's do a special about 80s uh, films. Sounds like, like a that. plan. Good. <laughs> Good to have you. Thank you. And you out there, thanks for listening. As usual, you can see clips about things that we discussed and all the amazing films that you've been talking about. And you can watch them on our webpage, goodbyecancerstudios.com. And do watch A Discovery Witches on your TV or laptop or wherever you want to see it. It's great. And feel free to mail me if you have suggestions of topics and stuff we should cover in future episodes of Yellow Brick Road. Until next time, goodbye. A bientôt. Auf Wiederhören. Wir hörs.